You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me this week as my co-host, Grant Gottgatrew, Darth Radar. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I'm always happy to have you back on the podcast, and thanks for filling in last minute. Uh, It's much appreciated. My pleasure. I got my reading glasses on so I can see. Okay. So you can read all of the important legal things that you're going to talk about. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, I thought I'd start off, you and I, over the many, many years that we've known each other from when you were a police officer to now, uh, have dealt with a lot of cell phone tickets together. And um, you and I have seen the development of the distracted driving law in BC. Yep. And... One thing that we've never had, but I've had a lot of questions about, and you probably have too, both in your capacity as a police officer and now as an expert, um, was a case involving like a like a CB radio or one of those, mm-hmm. you know, those radios that are mounted to the dash with a little yeah. speaker that you pull out from the dash. Yeah. Um, I got people asking me all the time about whether or not those are electronic devices. And it wasn't entirely clear to me on the reading of the legislation, particularly because I don't really know how they work. But there's been some clarity given by the BC Supreme Court in a recent case called Shelford. So in this case, um, Ms. Shelford was stopped by Constable Hallmark, um, who saw her driving like a service van or delivery vehicle. Uh, that she was holding something in her hand. He thought it was a phone, um, but she said it was the mic attached to her hardwired company radio. And it was a two-way voice radio. So she talked into the mic, but the radio played the responses from the other end through the speakers of the vehicle. And the question in the case became whether or not that was an electronic device, because the judicial justice said, well, you admitted when she testified about this, you admitted to committing the offense because the microphone um, was not securely affixed to the motor vehicle and uh, was an electronic device, according to the justice. And so, so she was convicted. Hmm. What are your thoughts, Grant? Well, when, when the electronic device um, charge came out, when was it back in 2010 or whatever? We were told as police officers that certain devices didn't qualify. CB radios and uh, the, um, like a portable radio, like what the police use, uh, because some companies, that's how they transmitted back and forth. It was was like a CB radio, but it was detached and you held it in your hand. Those were exempt. Yeah. Those were exempt. The, 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 the intention, the intent of the law was to deal specifically with cell phones. And then, of course, they had to encompass everything else in there, like MP3 players and everything. But it was all tailored. The, the, um, the legislation was tailored specifically to target cell phones. And we were instructed what, what it came out. I mean, it was 
right in black and white on, on, on paper was CB radios didn't qualify. Mm -hmm. And any type of device that was like a handheld portable yeah. that didn't qualify, right? Because some people needed it for their work, whether it be truck drivers or taxi drivers or delivery drivers. It's how they communicated with their dispatch. Yeah. So, but over the years, as we both know, <laughs> the, the, the waters became a little bit muddier, right? So we would write, and I say we, the global we, but I was part of this as well when I was at Ursu, we would write people for having the cell phones in the cup holders or on their lap. Or, you wrote or, cup holder tickets? Pardon me? You wrote cup holder tickets? Great. Well, yeah, because some of the JPs were convicting on it, right? I'm so, so what was Pardon me? I'm so disappointed in you. I'll get in line. So, <clears throat> um, so, the, so the waters got muddied over the years because um, the JPs were convicting uh, for certain um, offenses. Officers were writing uh, tickets for stuff that was clearly not the intent of the legislation or that didn't qualify under electronic device like an insulin uh, pump, mm -hmm. there was when I was at Ursu, one of my uh, one of my constables wrote a wrote a um, a driver for using an insulin pump. See that to me uh, is offensive. Well, and what ended up happening was the JP, you know, not, he ran a trial, and once he heard it was an insulin pump, he the 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 the, the JP, the traffic judge, threw it out obviously, and and. And, and scolded the officer that wasn't the intent of the legislation and this is a medical thing mm -hmm. right so the, the waters have been muddied and that's why these that's why we needed as uh, a motoring public and police and lawyers in this province we needed higher courts to make um, um, to define exactly what the rules are when it comes to electronic device and what is defined as an electronic device because each police officer has got a different idea of what constitutes use. Uh, different traffic judges have different ideas of what constitutes use. So it needed to come from higher courts so that they would make the uh, traffic courts. Um, these are binding decisions, obviously, for traffic court. Um, so the intent of the legislation way back when was fair, but then, like I said, the water started getting muddy. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's still officers to this day that write the tickets, despite decisions that have come out um, from the Supreme Court. Well, of course. And we'll get to actually something about that in our next topic. But and that's And that's not the fault of the police, because generally, we in a policing community don't get the decisions that come down on these matters. We're not updated, right? Well, it's not that, our- That is to me, that is to me then the fault of the police. Like it should, you know, as a lawyer, I have a professional responsibility to stay abreast of the law and to make yeah. sure I'm current with yeah. the law. Why do police yeah. not share that professional responsibility? Like Ms. Shelford, for example, as you said, should never have been convicted because that wasn't the intention of the legislature. It's not prohibited. And in fact, mm -hmm. when she appealed, she succeeded in her appeal because mm -hmm. 
the law allows you to use a one-way microphone. It's only the two-way microphone and amplifier that you're not allowed to use. Mm -hmm. Why are police not expected to stay up on the law? Because we don't get because we don't get notified of it. But right? that's that's an internal problem. Well, no, because it's 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 like your job as a lawyer is to go to court and represent people that have been uh, charged, alleged to have been charged with something, and you're going to go through case law. You know how to find case law, you know how to interpret case law, and you know how to argue. That mm -hmm. is beyond the scope of what the police do. That's... Yeah, but I don't understand why Crown Counsel, you know, if there's an appeal decision, why is Crown not sending a bulletin to the, you know, E Division and to the Muni Forces? Well, that would be, yeah, that, that, well, that would be good. And that would be the responsibility of Crown Counsel. Certainly not the responsibility of the police to go hunting for current cases on Canley. Some officers do. That's certainly true. <laughs> um, but, but what I find in my current position as a consultant is some of the lawyers will bring case law to traffic court and show it to the officer so this is the decision and some officers just go I don't care I don't believe in that and you know they just run run their trial and, and lose so they're wasting the court's time even though defense is showing them in black and white no you can't charge for this here's the decision yes I, I mean, I do agree. I've had that experience um, yeah. uh, where the officer said, I don't really care what the law says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run this ticket. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> That's a very good decision, officer. Well, it's fine. I'll just win this trial. Um, the, uh, yeah, like to me, the idea that the police are not brought up to speed on the law and then just forgiven for doing this is, is, it's disturbing. Um, I mean, you guys have lawyers. Y'all got lawyers. The RCMP has lawyers. The municipal police forces have lawyers. There's municipal lawyers. Like, why are these people not, why do they not bear a responsibility to the public? This is a part of guarding against wrongful conviction is in first ensuring that wrongful charges aren't laid. Well, I guess that's just a, a, um, a bigger issue that needs to be tackled through the um, BC chiefs of police and, and, and bring it up. Because don't forget, I mean, it, when it comes to traffic and traffic court, it's not looked at as a big deal, as we all know. Yeah. Even the traffic judges don't look at, you know, traffic court as a big deal because they'll, oh. they'll, they'll be presented with, with case law on criminal matters regarding stuff that applies to their traffic tickets but they disregard it and kind of go well this is just a traffic ticket you know it's not as serious as criminal it's like well I, court is court is court i'm i'm going to disagree with you that it it has that that has anything to do with traffic uh court justices not taking traffic court as seriously i think that that is because the offense act says that on a trial on a violation ticket a justice can adopt any procedures that they feel are expedient or, or useful. Yeah, now that, I'm just repeating what one other lawyer mentioned to me. I, my own personal experience, I haven't seen that, but it's, it's, it's seems to be that um, that was just the perception this particular council had. So, because normally what, 
normally when the police charge criminally, that's Crown Counsel that's prosecuting it, Crown Counsel or lawyers, they're up to speed with the case law, current case law, and if they aren't, then defense brings it to their attention, right? So it's up to the chiefs of police, the attorney general, um, and Crown Counsel to ensure that regardless of whether it's traffic matter or criminal matter, significant decisions, um, case law decisions should be passed down through the chain of command to the frontline workers. So let me ask you this then, Grant, do you think that maybe it's time if, if police are not capable of, of staying up to speed on the law themselves, they're not capable of looking out researching case law and all of that to prepare for their trials, to make sure that the ticket that they're taking to trial is valid, to be prepared for court, maybe police officers shouldn't be prosecuting their own traffic tickets? Well, I think in some ways it would, it would be beneficial to have Crown prosecuting traffic tickets because there have been countless times, and you know this as well as I, where had Crown had custody of the ticket, they would have either uh, stayed the charge or done a deal because the evidence wasn't there. Uh, whereas some police officers are, are unreasonably unreasonable when it comes to their tickets and they can't see the forest through the trees. And even though there's a glaring error uh, in their evidence, um, even in their handwritten evidence, they're so stubborn that they go, I don't care. We're running a trial on this. It's like, really? I mean, even me, uh, you know, even I look at an officer like that and go, holy shit, really? <laughs> wow. You know, this isn't a triple axe murder. It's a ticket and you screwed it up. There's issues with your ticket and, and they act so glib about it. They just run with it. And then they, and then they get all pissy when they lose. Um, so I think there is some, I think there's some, and plus a lot of the officers, they don't understand that they act as crown with these traffic tickets. They're acting as crown counsel and they have to be, open and understand that their role includes brokering deals or staying charges. You can't run a trial on the system's not designed to run a trial on every charge, every ticket. It'll grind to a halt. Well, the same with, with criminal trials. Correct. You know? And that, and, and Crown does that. that. Yeah. And you're, you said, you know, you need to have yeah. advanced discretion when resolving things to avoid delay. Correct. Correct. And, and, but unfortunately the police are, some of them just don't get that. They don't, they don't understand that their role is crown counsel and, and they don't understand. They think that, well, well, I wrote the ticket. I'm prosecuting it regardless. It's like, okay. Uh, so there is some merit to having crown run it. Um, a lot of it has to do with a lack of training and understanding on the part of the police. It's like most of the stuff is pretty straightforward. Um, it's it, when it comes to the charges, there's not a lot of case law and some of the case law in the books is pretty, uh, pretty old, like speeding stuff. When we get into cell phone stuff, that's where more and more uh, case law decisions are coming out because uh, the tickets are being kind of written and it's muddying the waters. And in those cases, they should be getting some updates as to these decisions. <clears throat> so I'm recognizing that um, the, we don't have any training on how to dig up case law, right? 
So it's it's almost like and and, and this will I, I I will agree with you on this. This is where it has to come down from higher up. Dissim and and that way it can be disseminated to all the members saying, okay, this is a decision on case uh, on on cell phones. Uh, you know, can't write cup holders anymore or whatnot or or whatever the decisions are, so that they know that. So then, if the officers, if there's an understanding that they all know that these are the rules, then when they go and write a ticket for that, uh, then they could be subject to a police act uh, complaint or um, a code of conduct investigation, whether they're municipal police or RCMP. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that actually kind of leads into our next topic. I wanted to talk to you a little bit because you're not only are you qualified or have you been qualified as a an expert in uh, uh, radar uh, speed yep. and you have also been qualified in uh, BC Provincial Court as an expert in police procedure and impaired driving investigations. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about specifically those issues with a, a pair of cases that uh, leave was granted on from the Supreme Court of Canada today. Um, the, the main case is called Beaver. And essentially what happens, Mr. Beaver and his roommate, um, both of whom are, are arrested um, uh, at their home, they're arrested for an offense that doesn't exist. And they're detained, they're taken back to the police station, they're the detained there for about two hours. And as the police continue their investigation, they discover that they have grounds to believe that Mr. Beaver and uh, his roommate were also involved in a manslaughter. So they re-arrest them at the detachment after they've been detained for two hours on an offense that doesn't exist. They re-arrest them at the detachment and uh, uh, arrest them for manslaughter at this point. And Ultimately, there's an interview and a confession is given, and the question at trial was the admissibility of the confession. Defense counsel argues at trial that effectively the confession should be thrown out of evidence because it was obtained as part of this transaction, which began with a completely unlawful arrest for an offense that doesn't exist as a serious violation. They asked for the charges to be stayed, and if the charges weren't stayed, that all the evidence obtained should be excluded. And the court said that the new arrest for manslaughter, the real offense, uh, essentially pressed the reset button so that all of the bad stuff could just be forgotten and the police could reset and it was a brand new investigation and it doesn't matter that they were in the custody of police unlawfully for two hours leading up to that. So the Supreme Court of Canada is going to hear this and determine whether or not a new arrest presses the reset button. And I thought reading this judgment and, and when it got leave, that this would have massive implications for impaired driving investigations. Yes. Okay. Was, <laughs> You're like, was that was that a question? Yes. <laughs> what, what, did, what, did it did it say what the did it say what the phantom arrest was for? Um, it did, but I don't remember what it was. But I don't oh. think it matter. It doesn't really matter what it was. I think. The no, I was just curious. The bigger issue is, you know, yeah. we see these cases where police officers unlawfully stop drivers. They stop them for no reason. They stop yeah. them not to conduct a sobriety check, um, but yeah. just willy nilly. And then the question becomes whether or not they, you know, they had grounds for the arrest. Um, well, I think they'll probably, I think in those cases, the Crown will probably look at it 
um, until the Supreme Court makes a decision. I think they'll probably look at it at a, at a case by case basis. This particular one you're talking about with Beaver ended up being a manslaughter, which is a little bit more serious than you, you pull someone over for some you know, made up reason, uh, impaired driving or whatever, or not made up, but you pull them over for impaired driving um, and, then, um, and then you find drugs, right? And even though the, the even though the stop was determined to be unlawful in the first place, because for something that didn't exist or whatnot, then you find drugs after a long detention. Uh, I could see Crown throwing that out because I mean it's not a serious offense if you, compared to manslaughter, right? Um, but I mean, is it? I don't understand why the seriousness of the offense should be the determinative factor. I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking at whether or not somebody's charter rights were complied with, and. It essentially opens the door when because we're human. Because what? Because we're human. Ground's human. They'll look at something and go, "Well, this isn't a homicide. This is something less." You know, they're gonna they're they're gonna fight tooth and nail. Everyone will fight tooth and nail, whether it's the courts or Crown of Defense, if if it's, if if, it, if there's a dead body involved, a homicide or something like that, versus you know a property offense or. That type of thing that's just been my experience um yeah but even like even if you have a, a dead body like does this not open the door to police to knowingly arrest people for things that are not real like me showing up at your house and being like grant you're under arrest for having a scraggly goatee um and taking you into the police station i trimmed it well it's covid everybody's scraggly have you seen my hair? <laughs> it's yes, awful. it looks like you combed it with a branch. Go ahead. I need it cut. It's there's too much of it. Um, you know, but, but I could arrest you for scraggly beard, right? For being yes. unkempt and like that's an offense, yes. not. And and take you into the detachment and make you sit for hours while I gather in evidence in another investigation. Yeah. Um, like it opens the door for police to willfully violate people's rights just so that they can hang on to them until they build the grounds to do something else. It's it's leaving a massive wide open door for the charter. And you raised this issue of, of like a traffic cop and finding drugs. Back in 2009, the Supreme Court of Canada considered the case of Harrison, where Mr. Harrison was initially going to be stopped for not having a front plate. And yeah. then a police officer pulled behind him he saw that he had a vehicle registered in Alberta, so it wasn't supposed to have a front plate, but he stopped him anyway because he thought, oh, the public will be you know, frustrated if I look like I'm going to stop someone and then I don't. It would be embarrassing for me. And turns out there were kilos of drugs in Mr. Harrison's car, whoopsie. Uh, and it was all excluded because mm -hmm. of how egregious the conduct is. Like, how do you separate mm -hmm. that here? Like, to me, these are the same thing. Well, and that's probably why the Supreme Court wants to hear it. Um, I mean, I don't know the details about um, um, under normal circumstances. First of all, if you're arrested for a crime that doesn't exist, um, if you're arrested for something that doesn't exist, then there's there's recourse for um, the person. First of all, by, by way of a of a complaint, right? There's there's um, did this happen in BC? Was Beaver in BC? No, Beaver was in Alberta, I believe. Okay, well, if it was RCMP, they've got code of conduct that can. Uh, first, you start with a with an internal complaint because the police just can't willy nilly arrest you for something that doesn't exist. They can arrest you if they believe something that's happened or whatnot, or they believe they have the grounds uh, to arrest you for assault. 
uh, you know, but but they can't arrest you for shuffling your feet for something that doesn't exist because that's so you start they would start internally and, and investigate that member for that and then obviously that would be substantiated because you can't arrest someone for something for for a non-offense for something that doesn't exist either in a provincial or federal statute so that's number one and you're right and number two um it's supposed to be fruit from the poison tree mm, well anything after that right that's that's been my uh, experience in these types of things is no the charter breach was too egregious so we're going to throw everything out um which is probably why the supreme court wants to hear it supreme court of canada wants to hear it because you know while while beaver was in custody for two hours you know did he say anything during that two hours that resulted in the arrest for manslaughter or is it they were just cooling their heels in jail while the police conducted some other investigation and realized oh these are our guys we have to arrest them yeah but it doesn't matter whether or not they said anything in those two hours what matters yeah, yeah. the police didn't have any right to have them cool to have them held for two hours yeah well this is i could i could see that then going the way of the dodo i could see the the supreme court turn around saying no sorry fruit from the poison tree yeah. right just yeah. like just like um um a feeny warrant Right. Look what the look what Feeney came out of. Right. Did did Feeney get convicted for for murder? I do not know. Actually, I don't. He got. I don't. <laughs> huh? I don't know whether he got convicted. Um, I don't think he did, and that's why I think the whole Feeney warrant came around. Uh, my recollection. So I know that the courts, and you know this as well, that the courts will, you know, throw out a case, even a case of murder, if there's been some huge charter violation the charter is the charter and it's what protects it's protects us all it doesn't matter the seriousness of the offense if 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 the breach of the charter is so severe then the remedy is the charge gets tossed that's just how it works um and even the police know that mm -hmm. but you know i've been seeing in the last four years a lot of the criminal matters that i've been retained and reviewed i'm like going i'm cringing going you know first of all why did the member write this crown when there's there's nothing here or it's clearly obvious this file is screwed up um second of all how did the nco who read this crown approve it and send it to crown council right mm -hmm. number three how the hell did crown charge approval give this the thumbs up i've seen some of these files i've reviewed are just awful and not surprisingly when it comes to trial it gets stayed or dealt down to something pretty minor, right? So uh, I don't think that I like to have faith, but I, I've talked to some of my retired coworkers, and we've all agreed that that there certainly has been a a change in the um, attention to detail with some police investigations from the time that we started and finished our careers to now. That's for sure. And I don't know if that's because it's for a lack of training. It's certain not, it doesn't come across to me as malicious on the part of the members, but it strikes me more as a lack of, a lack of training and, and uh, uh, um, on the part of the, uh, uh, part of the police. You know, they can only do the best they can do with the training they receive, right? And part of the problem is you've got uh, some departments and detachments where you have 
a two-year member teaching a brand new recruit, which is awful. It's ridiculous. You shouldn't be instruct. You shouldn't be acting as a field trainer until you have at least one service star on your arm. Service star. Every service star is five years of service. Um, so basically, you have you know newbies teaching newbies, and what are they learning? The right? blind leading the blind. Well, yeah, and it, it does everyone at the service. It does a disservice to that member. It does a disservice to the community. It does a disservice to the courts. It's just, and it just, it's just a huge ripple effect. So, you know, getting back to what we said at the very beginning, what you said at the beginning there about um, about impaired driving, and then and then going off on a tangent from there uh, with the investigation. If the NCOs are smart, they they should be able to. See see a fishing expedition when they read a file. When I was an NCO, part of my job was to review the Crown Council reports that came through by my members. And if I saw anything in there that either one of the essential elements of the offense was missing or something I thought was, holy shit, this is a, this is a fishing expedition, then it was my responsibility to bring that member in and say, you got nothing here. We're going to, I'm not even going to approve this charge, or you're going to need to explain this more in your narrative because you're going to get your ass handed to you. Uh, I don't think there's enough NCOs out there that do that. I think they just quickly see the crown, they sign it, they approve it. They send it right down to crown council. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a case to watch, and I'm, I'm concerned about it as far as its potential impacts on criminal justice, but we will watch, we will see, we will discuss, you and I, when the ultimate decision is released from the Supreme Court of Canada. But I wanted to shift gears again, Grant, because it's my favorite time of the podcast, your favorite time if you would actually ever listen to the podcast. I have listened to your podcasts. I listened to the last one with Emma. Yeah, so it is time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Yay. Yay. Um, and this one, I sent you the I sent you the video before we started recording and you watched it. It is a video making the rounds on social media of a man in a truck in what looks to be Alberta. Um, it's definitely Canada because it's an RCMP officer in the video who is very angry that he is getting a ticket. We don't really know what leads up to the interaction, but he's standing, uh, or sitting in his car. And the officer walks up to give him the ticket and he holds his middle finger up to the window. And the, uh, then he unrolls the window a couple inches, grabs the tickets, berating the officer, calling him all sorts of horrible names that we can't say in the podcast, like the G word. Um, and uh, a clown and things like that. And then he drives off. He's been served his ticket, he's free to go. And as he's driving away, you can see in his rear window, the officer walking away with his back to the truck. But then all of a sudden the man starts screaming, his, his partner in the truck starts screaming and the officer's at the window pointing, what the man says is a gun, but you can see it's the officer's um, conductive weapon, the taser. Um, and he stops the guy, smashes the window, pulls him out of the car and arrests him for assault PO crazy yeah i i miss dealing with motorists like that i always got a kick out of them um, <laughs> it was like your favorite was dealing with people like that and dealing with the the people who would yell at you there's a uh, we played it before on the podcast the the uh the um 
video in which you got your nickname. Oh yes, Robot Vulture, yeah, that one. Um, yeah, I looked at that video and of course, you know, the first part of the video is missing, right? Like, so, you know, the reason for the initial pullover and the interaction between him and the police to start with, all we get is the filming when the officer's coming back to the car with the ticket. And, you know, driver's angry, and which is fair. I mean, who likes getting a ticket? Hello. And yeah, so he yells and swears at the police officer. Um, I don't know um, the context of, okay, he got served, but was there another, like, did he leave before? Was another part of investigation? I don't know. I mean, I think once you get served your ticket, yeah, you're, you're free to go. And I don't know. I mean, did the, did the guy's car uh hit the police officer when he walked away i mean the video showed that the officer was you know the member was walking back to his car but that doesn't mean he wasn't clipped i don't know yeah um, it'll be interesting to see that's one that you should uh follow and see exactly what what the outcome i mean buddy was obviously arrested for assault uh what the outcome is and what the evidence was like what was the what was the nature of the assault because i have worked um, with police officers that have, let me just put that on mute. Sorry. I have worked with police officers that have bad tempers <laughs> and I could see them reacting that way. And this well, is going back, this is going back decades though. I mean, it's, don't forget when I started in policing, I was working with other police officers that had been on the job since the 1960s. Well, policing in the 60s and the 70s was completely different back then than it is now. There was pre-charter and, and there was a lot of uh, conflict between uh, you know, the police and, 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 and certain people in the general public that you know, it was like a lot of back alley justice and whatnot, and, and it is what it is. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, did this, did this police officer overreact? Was he pissed off because he got sworn and yelled at and the, and the guy just took off? I had that happen to me one time. It, it's got to be like frustrating as a police officer to take that kind of abuse and know that you're going to take that abuse probably every day. Yes, but, you know, sticks and stones, right? Yeah. Someone's yelling and screaming and swearing at you. Okay, well, go ahead and yell and scream because eventually you're going to get tired. And you're mm -hmm. going to stop yelling and screaming. Um, you know, when, it's like when it, toddler. well, yeah, when it crosses into a criminal offense, okay, you know, that's different. If he's threatening the officer while he's yelling and swearing at him and I'm going to find out where you live and I'm going to kill you. Well, that's a bit different, but you know, being yelled and sworn at, Oh, well, who in traffic hasn't had that happen to them. Every traffic officer is going to have someone absolutely go, uh, lose their shit on them just yell and swear and everything else i had one guy yelling at me and he he hoped that i got cancer so hey, you know and you kind of go oh whatever you know it is what set off your fuse though well but it, a lot of these people yell and swear because they they um they're trying to goad you into a confrontation they're trying to goad the officer into confrontation or that's just their way they just have zero they have Oh, okay. Uh, they have zero um, skills when it comes to maintaining their um, coolness, so they yell and swear. 
So um, I think that this will be an interesting case to see. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm interested to continue watching it. And I always love a hilarious video of people screaming and behaving badly. So I'm with you on that. Um, we're out of time, Grant. I'm sorry to say we've just ate up our podcast time because you're- I'm sorry. I was having so much fun with this. I lost track of time. I know I did too. And then I looked at the clock and I was like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> so I will let you go. Thank you so much for being the guest. And if people reach you, they can find you at forensictrafficpro.com. Right. Or is it .ca? I don't remember. Okay. Well, they can Google They you. can Google Darth Radar and they'll find me. Yeah. Google Darth Raider, you'll find Grant, or just reach out to us at Vancouver Criminal Law at 604-685-8889, or find us online, vancouvercriminallaw.com, and we'll put you in touch with Grant or help you with any driving issue you have, and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. <laughs>